of facts to fight off the liberal gaslighting. You can be in the middle of a hurricane. You have sanctuary in the city of Chicago. Or you can be on a calm day. North is still north. You could be in a thunderstorm. I am angry. We are not going back. Not ever. North is still north. People can yell at you. The hell with the Supreme Court. We will defy them. North is still north. It doesn't change fundamental things. And in this business, right is still right, even if you stand by yourself. We don't get fooled again. No, no. Live across the fruited plain and from sea to shining sea, we are converting the Marxist left one hour at a time on the Wendy Bell radio program. Hello, America, and beyond the fruited plain. Welcome home to the Wendy Bell Radio Program. Delighted, as always, to jumpstart another busy work week with you. Lots of things going on in Congress. Lots of things going on on college campuses. Things happening in your communities. We've got our fingers kind of on a lot of this stuff. Feeling the pulse of what is going on. It is our common sense conservative outlook, I think, that welcomes a lot of people from different stripes. And I'm super excited. Those of you who do not agree with the things that I say, who who vehemently disagree with me, and you're here anyway, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Those of you who are in line with what we talk about, you're always welcome. We believe truth, science, data, things that we can fact check are so important these days. Hope you had a great weekend, great show for you, and it starts right after this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Amen. I had the occasion Friday afternoon after this program wrapped to fly to Boston and then drive into New Hampshire for a reunion, if you will, with my dad's side of the family. And it's not a reunion we wanted because it was to celebrate the life of my 57-year-old cousin, 57, 58-year-old cousin, Steve. And it's so interesting as we go through these, these decades of our family albums and our shared experiences. We gather at weddings, And then the weddings become baptisms, graduations, and then ultimately funerals. And the funeral is something that is truly interesting because everything that might be floating on in your mind, every worry you might have that you carry around with you, willingly or not, in the moment when you are in the pews of a church or on the seats of a synagogue or wherever you worship and join together to celebrate someone you've lost. Everything else just seems to go away. And in that moment, 
you can't help but hyperspace into the widow or widower's life or into the children that they leave behind. We don't go to mourn the person who has died, but to join together in some sort of an uplifting family love for those who will have to carry on at home without them. And I can't fathom what it would be like to come home and to see a closet full of clothes that will never be worn again. Or to know that there are dishes in the sink that they used. Or dirty laundry in the hamper that I would have to talk myself out of leaving dirty forever. I learned things about my cousin I didn't know. It was humbling. And I realized how many years had gone on since I ever really talked to him and heard about him. I had no idea that my cousin Steve, who was a father of five sons, from his own children to blended to a blended marriage to, I had no idea that my cousin had, had fostered five additional children beyond his own. That's a special soul. I had no idea how much he enjoyed cycling. I didn't realize that he had been quite an avid athlete. I knew he was smart, but I'm not so sure I knew how kind he was in his own quiet way. Didn't want fanfare, bells and whistles or anything. He was just a good man who made people feel comfortable, who made them laugh, who was kind, and who was so smart. He had an engineer's brain. Taught math on a degree to which I couldn't fathom. And I was so sad to realize how much time I let slip by and I never actually really sat down because life gets busy. And in that moment, I got to hear all about him. We were in a Methodist church with a Methodist pastor, and there were gay pride flags <clears throat> inside the church, outside the church. It was welcoming. It was warm and friendly and Religious, yes, without being over your head godlike. And it felt right. And in that moment, as I listened to my sister next to me, as she was gasping for air, we all handle emotions in different ways, after all. I thought how much we need to hit the brakes every now and again and reevaluate what we're so angry about, what we fight about what we allow to go unspoken, the grudges we carry, the nonsense that interrupts and creates gaps in our family album. Whether we're too stubborn, too proud, or too stupid, or maybe too afraid to have the conversations that we need to have. I would guarantee the majority of us would find out that we've been wrong about things we've dragged through our lives 
And I worry about my cousin's widow. And I worry about my aunt. It ought not take something like that where you are in a new zip code and a new state with strangers around you who are all united by something that none of them wants to say. Because if you say it, and you verbalize it, then it's real, then the loss is real, and it is. But there was something really interesting that happened. Through this gathering of last minute out of town family members getting together to celebrate a special man, we also found out other stories of other family members who needed help. There was a breakdown and an opening to come together and to join and to support a few people who really need it right now. And it reminded me no matter what is going on outside, we can only control so much of what happens out there. It's in here, at home, in your house, in your family tree, in your genetics, where we do have control, where we can open doors, where we can make amends, when we can spend the time, when we can stop making the excuses that life is just simply too busy and I just, I just don't know how I'm going to squeeze it in. It ought not take a funeral which forces all of us to stop and put everything else that seems so damn important on the back burner to come together to be one again. And I think that is what we need now more than ever as the peeling back of the true story going on, not just in this country, but around the world. We're beginning to see more and more layers in which with more, more knowledge comes more frustration. But we've got to use that to get back to the basics inside our families. And it's mending those fences. It's fixing those problems. It's about standing up, speaking out, and taking the shots in our cameras to put back in the album. So that what we give to those who come after us isn't riddled with strife and heartbreak and misunderstanding and pride, but rather love. I'm the first to admit it's hard to do that. But I realized this weekend how important it is. Each of you has something going on in your life right now. And you may feel as though it is insurmountable, unsurvivable, but it is. It is. We need to take the time to get our own homes back in order. I know I have to. When we come back, a theme of today's program, it's going to be the enemy of the people. What is the biggest enemy of the people? It's a tough question. And we have a lot of contenders today. When we come back, I want to talk to you about Mike Johnson. The speaker's plan 
that is very pivotal and why we have to pay close attention to it and how the people in Congress vote for it. It's next on the Wendy Bell Radio Program. Well, we got five days until a government shutdown, allegedly. If we don't get some stuff moving in the House, and, and this is where the ridiculous, let's take all of August off and the first two weeks of September comes back to bite anybody who had the Speaker's gavel, and that's Kevin McCarthy included. Kevin McCarthy was booted, we know, not just because he decided to move a continuing resolution to kick the financial bills, all that, down the road. It was well more than that. And Mike, Mike Johnson has come in as the new speaker to try to absorb this financial disaster that he has inherited, but to also work as the liaison between all of the various factions, among all the factions in both the Democrat side and the Republican side of the House. And this is going to be very interesting, and we need to pay close attention to this because this is the spending of our government going into next year. And so what they wanted to do, you have 12 big things you need to vote on. This is what they do every single year. Got to vote on how many dollars you're going to spend. What are the priorities of those programs? And they used to be lumped in this one big bill. And that's where all the pork would come. And that's why we have $33 trillion in debt. In addition to all these stupid stimulus packages that anybody with a remotely fiscally conservative mind could have told you that is a trigger for inflation. Bing, bing, bing. Right? So we've got to get through this. And instead of this giant omnibus, it is all of these appropriations measures individually. And so they've prioritized them. Several have already passed. And Mike Johnson has created a very interesting proposal for members of the House to consider. So I want to read this to you. This is from NewsNationNow.com. House Speaker Mike Johnson unveiling this proposal Saturday to avoid a partial government shutdown by extending government funding for some agencies and programs until January 19th and then continuing funding for others a couple weeks beyond that to February 2nd. Now, the approach is pretty unusual for a stopgap spending bill. Usually lawmakers extend funding until a certain date for everything. But Johnson decided to go with this kind of combo approach, addressing concerns from the GOP lawmakers, seeking to avoid being presented with that monster omnibus just before the holidays. And this is a quote. This is Mike Johnson. This two-step continuing resolution is a necessary bill to place House Republicans in the best position to fight for conservative victories, he said. Bill will stop the absurd holiday season omnibus tradition of massive loaded up spending bills introduced right before Christmas recess. So what he's saying is, look, because of miss, you know, whatever the malfunction is in the House. And I think we can start with, I don't know, taking six weeks off leading into what was going to be a very busy budgetary planning time. That was stupid. Kevin McCarthy knew better. But he is a swamp creature uniparty representative who wanted the omnibus. So he gets booted. Johnson comes and said, look, I've inherited these issues. We're going to get to the bottom of them, but I can't wave a magic wand and make it happen. So what I want to propose to you is let's give us a little bit extra time through the holiday and then a little bit more than that for these other things that demand more review. Now, why this is important is because we have to monitor how people are voting. 
any Republican who's going to come in and say no to his measure, I believe, is playing all of the cards of obvious. This makes rhino Republican swamp creature uniparty Republicans, to me, one of many enemies of the people. If you vote no against a very reasonable measure that says we just need a little time, we've already passed these six things. We need another couple weeks post the holidays to do the other six, and we will get it done. And then the Senate can do whatever the hell the Senate's going to do. They're going to have to rest on their votes. They're going to have to answer to their constituents. However these House Republicans vote on this will tell you just as much about these Republicans as their vote to give the FBI $300 million for a new headquarters. For a headquarters that would be more expensive than the Pentagon that would move it out of the Beltway and more out to the suburbs. 70 Republicans voted yes to allow that to happen. The FBI, that is an enemy of us, we the people, an enemy of the state, if you will, they are beyond weaponized. They are going after anybody beyond the January Sixers. Beyond the 2,000 people they have in their crosshairs just for that date in political history. They're going after whistleblowers. They're going after the Catholic faithful. They're going after parents. They're going after people who have conservative values. And they've done this repeatedly again. And and we have 70 Republicans in the House of Representatives who believed it was prudent. One of the big ones to me, the big shocker to me of that 70 votes was the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. The Republican from Missouri, Jason Smith. He's part of that holy trinity. Jason Smith Jim Jordan, Jamie Comer, doing the House oversight work, House Judiciary and House Ways and Means. He decided that that $300 million for the FBI was a good decision. I scratch my head on that. So I want you to know where we are because these bills they'll present as being big mumbo jumbo. It's really not complicated. We need a little bit more time. Is it going to happen? Who are the Republicans who are going to get in the way? These are the ways we are able to identify the enemies within our own party. All right. Don't go anywhere. Coming up next on the Wendy Bell Radio Program, why I believe enemy number one is the media. Without question. Next. So we will be monitoring how the House of Representatives votes on this proposal by Speaker Johnson. It is reasonable. It admits, hey, we got a lot of money we got to talk about. This is not something we're going to push forward or, or stall on to force a vote by the end of the year. This is the responsible way to do it. Let's get some cooperation. Let's get some functionality in our government. It's so reasonable. It's so reasonable. 
This is a story I think is, is amazing. When we talk about the enemy of the people, have you guys been following along any of these stories coming out of New York City or Chicago? Where migrants, migrants, are pushing back and want to go back home. Migrants in, in Chicago. There are more than 3,000 illegal immigrants who've come to this country who in Chicago alone are sleeping in police precincts. There is nowhere to go with these people. There is no way to accommodate them. And with winter here now, or right around the corner, and the weather is cold, these migrants are saying, you know what? I thought there was an American dream. But what I'm getting is the shaft. That might might be how they're seeing it. We're seeing we're getting people we didn't ask for who our government expects, expects us to pay for. So the migrants want to go home. Let me go back. Can you imagine how huge that is? Think about that. You've heard our Wendy Bell Radio Network correspondent, Oscar Blue, in Mexico, who has gone multiple times through the Darien Gap, a treacherous, deadly, swampy trek through jungles, through mudslides, through steep cliffs, through the drug cartels, through most vile, despicable things. These migrants would rather go back and roll the dice on that journey again to get back to Venezuela, Guatemala, wherever they came from because they were sold a false bill of goods. Think about that. Now, does it shock you in any capacity when I share with you this story from the Media Research Center? This is newsbusters.org. A fascinating article that is worthy of our conversation. Because when I say to you, I believe the media, the media represents the biggest threat. I mean that seriously. Beyond even our government. The people who quote unquote control the narrative, control the propaganda. Special report. This is entitled The Stealing of the Presidency 2020. Now, don't say, oh, more election denier. Oh, more big lie stuff. Oh, yeah, a lot of it. And it's coming out. And Donald Trump, by the way, is going to use his trials, his many indictments as a springboard, as a, as a stage from which he can announce to the American people what he has found in his own review of fraud and malfeasance. In our electoral system. Jack Smith. Letitia James. These cats are in a serious jam. Because they opened a can of worms. And Donald Trump plans to. You, you want to put me on this. You want to put me in the spotlight. Absolutely. Let's go. He wants his trials to be televised. Now. That's how seriously. Confident. He isn't being able to convey to the American people just how awful 2020 was. So if you're among that, oh, big lie group, suck it. 
The left-wing news media didn't just poison the information environment with their incessantly negative coverage of President Trump going into the 2020 election. They also refused to give airtime to important arguments of the Republican campaign, both pro-Trump and anti-Biden, which meant millions of voters cast their ballots knowing only what the media permitted them to know about the candidates. To measure the true effect of the media censorship on that election, the Media Research Center asked the polling company, there's such an entity, it's called the polling company, to survey 1,750 Biden voters in seven swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, six of which, all but North Carolina, were called for Biden. We tested these voters' knowledge of eight news stories, all important topics, that our our ongoing analysis had shown the liberal news media had failed to cover properly. And we found that a huge majority, 82% of Biden voters were unaware of at least one of these key items with 5% saying they were unaware of all eight of the issues we tested. This lack of information proved crucial. One of every six Biden voters we surveyed, 17%, said they would have abandoned the Democratic candidate had they known the facts about one or more of these news stories. A shift of this magnitude would have changed the outcome in all six of the swing states won by Joe Biden and Donald Trump would have comfortably won a second term as president. Here's what we found. Burying Biden's bad news. The media censorship of Biden's scandals had the strongest impact on this year's election. According to our survey, more than one third of Biden voters, 35.4%, were unaware of the serious allegations brought against the Democratic nominee by Tara Reid, a former staffer who said Biden sexually assaulted her in the 1990s. If they had known about Tara Reid's sexual assault allegations, 8.9% told us they would have changed their vote, either switching to Trump or a third-party candidate, not voting for any presidential candidate or not voting at all. By itself, this would have flipped all six of the swing states won by Biden, giving the president a win with 311 electoral college votes. Even more voters, 45.6 or 45.1 percent, even more Biden voters, I should say, said they were unaware of the financial scandal enveloping Biden and his son Hunter. Forty five percent did not know about the Biden crime family syndicate. A story infamously censored by Twitter and Facebook, as well as ignored by the liberal media. According to our poll, full awareness of the Hunter Biden scandal would have led 9.4% of Biden voters to abandon Joe Biden altogether, flipping all six of the swing states he won to Trump. Again, giving Donald Trump 311 electoral votes. The ticket's left-wing ideology was another issue barely mentioned by the national press. A GovTrack analysis found Biden's running mate, California Senator Kamala Harris, had the most left-wing record of any senator in 2019. The most left-wing. Even more left-wing than self-described socialist Bernie Sanders. 
Our poll found that 25.3% of Biden voters said they didn't know about Senator Harris's left-wing ideology. One in four! If voters had read the complete story, it would have led 4.1% of Biden voters to change their vote. Flipping Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin to Trump. And the result would have been a Trump victory with 295 electoral college votes. How about this one? Hiding Trump's successes. The liberal media also prevented many Biden voters from learning about record-breaking positive economic news in the months leading up to the election. Everybody knows it now, right? The five pre-election jobs reports from June 5th to October 2nd showed a record 11 million 161,000 jobs were created in the extraordinary snapback from the pandemic recession. Yet a large number of Biden voters, 39.4%, said they did not know about this achievement. If they had, 5.4% said they would have changed their vote. And that would have swung Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin to Donald Trump, who would have won with 295 electoral votes. On October 29th, the government reported a huge jump in economic growth. Again, this is 2020. 33.1% on the annual basis. Double the previous record. Yet nearly half of Biden voters, 49%, said they had no idea about this record-breaking achievement. Armed with that information, 5.6% said they would have changed their vote, swinging Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin and a total of 295 electoral votes to Trump. We saw the same effect when it came to foreign policy. The president and his team made history by brokering peace agreements with Israel and several of her Arab neighbors. One reason Trump received three nominations for the Nobel Peace Prize. Yet 43.5% of Biden voters had no idea about these historic agreements. The information would have led 5% of overall Biden voters to change their vote for a total of 295 electoral votes for Trump. Energy independence was another huge Trump success. The president took action to start long-stalled pipeline projects and expand drilling offshore and in the Arctic. And it paid off with America becoming a net exporter of oil for the first time. That happened in September 2019, more than half. 50.5% of Biden voters said they did not know about this important accomplishment either. Had they, 5.8% of Biden's voters said they would have changed their vote, and that would have secured 295 electoral votes for Trump. One important issue that did get a lot of coverage in 2020, the pandemic. But what made the news every night was criticism of Trump and his administration. Lost in the blistering barrage of bad news were successes such as Operation Warp Speed, which many of us now, that we know what we know about the virus, about the vaccine, about the side effects, about the excess deaths, one might submit was not a success. Had they known, though, 5.3% of Biden voters said they would have abandoned him, and that would have given Trump 295 electoral votes. Putting it all together, looking at all eight of these issues together, our poll found that a total of 17% of Biden's voters told us they would have changed their vote had they been aware of one or more of these important stories. They would have moved every one of the swing states into Trump's column. 
some by a huge margin. And the president would have trounced Joe Biden in the Electoral College 311 to 227. Enemy of the state, enemy of the people, numero uno, the media. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to continue because we've got one example, one headline today that underscores this idea of how much they suck. Next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. So I want to go back to this Media Research Center special report I just read to you. I I want to do a state-by-state quick takeaway. So 1,750 Biden voters in 2020 asked eight questions. Did you know about this, 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 and this? No. (laughs) No, I didn't. Because I'm a product of what I normally of the sources of my information, right? CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, Washington Post, Axios, whatever their source is, is left-wing propaganda. A lot of it. And this is the takeaway in this Media Research Center, newsbusters.org article. In Pennsylvania, 15% of Biden voters said they would have defected, knowing what they were told in the poll, knowing what they, figuring out what they were, what? We were energy independent, and now we're not. And now, and now Joe Biden wants me to, to drive an electric car, and he wants to take my microwave and my, my ceiling fan. What? Yeah, if I had known that, I wouldn't have voted for the dude. 15%. Using the reported vote totals. This would have reduced Joe Biden's total votes by 518,000. Flipping Pennsylvania to Trump. Remember, he only won by 80,000, allegedly, we'll say. In Georgia, 15% of Biden's voters said they would have defected based on full information, taking 370,000 votes out of Biden's column. In Arizona, 21% said they would have changed their vote. That would have deducted 351,000. Michigan, 14% said they wouldn't have voted for him. That would have taken another 393,000 votes from Biden. Wisconsin, 13% said, I never would have voted for the guy. That would have taken 212,000 from his column. Nevada, 18%. I wouldn't have voted for him. Removing another 126,000. And the final state they polled, North Carolina, 21% of Biden voters said they would have changed their minds, deducting 563,000 votes from Joe Biden's total and significantly bolstering Trump's margin of victory in that state. Now, it's important to note that not all of these voters would have switched to Trump, of course. Although about 6% of Biden's voters said that's exactly what they would have done. Just by choosing to abandon Biden, these voters would have handed all six of these states and a second term to Donald Trump. If the media had properly informed them about the two candidates. And the takeaway here, the most important basic principle of our elected system, electoral system, is that our leaders are chosen by the people themselves. But if the people are given systematically one-sided information with crucial facts omitted or lied about, then the real power to choose has been stolen from them. And this unique study of the media and of voters suggests that's exactly what happened in 2020. 
this is similar to in Pennsylvania with early voting in John Fetterman before mm-hmm. he ever did mm-hmm. a debate where he said, hello, good or good yeah. night, goodbye. Yeah, his first his first words were, uh, you know, hello and good night. And we're like, oh, boy. Right. How about these headlines? So when I talk about what I believe and, and you might have a different view and that's cool because there are many enemies that we are fighting out there. The media headline, how about this? New York Times claims economic turmoil if Trump enforces border laws. Now, in the last 30 seconds, that is the dumbest thing that I have heard. (laughs) We We need to qualify these things because there are so many dumb things. The nation will be pushed toward, quote, social and economic turmoil... If a re-elected President Donald Trump tries to enforce Congress's border laws, this is what the New York Times claimed on Veterans Day, November 11th. Quote, sweeping raids, giant camps, and mass deportations inside Trump's 2025 immigration plans, declared the headline for an article about President Donald Trump's campaign, his promises to enforce border policies if he's elected now. These 1,750 2020 Biden voters, I really hope they're awake. (laughs) I really hope they're paying attention. I really hope if the takeaway is anything, do not believe what you are told. Now, should you believe me? I'm not going to lie to you. You'll have to figure whether you trust that or not which is why I believe it's important for me to tell you where I'm getting stuff. You go back, you read, you make the best decisions for you and your family. But if the New York Times is going to come out and create this idea that the, the immigrants who've illegally crossed into this country or the victims here that Donald Trump is some big bad wolf. And if he's reelected, the number one scourge is going to be mass deportations. I say, bring it. I'm all about that. And what are we hearing from these migrants? I don't want to be here. This place sucks. It's cold. I don't want to sleep in a police precinct. They told me I was going to have the American dream that I could do whatever I wanted. It's not true. No kidding. Interesting times, ladies and gentlemen. This article, however was decorated with a matching claim from an investor group that lobbies for more migrant consumers and renters and workers. Do you see how transparent the players here are? The New York Times is no different than 60 Minutes, is no different than USA Today, is no different than any of these outfits that want you to believe that they tell you the truth. But what they do is they tell you the propaganda. Do not fall for it. Period. All right. Enemy of the people number two. Well, we're going to continue with this idea because Piers Morgan gets shredded by a British journalist talking about what's really going on in Gaza. Oh, boy. It is worth everything. Our number two of the Wendy Bell Radio program is next. 